Basil and uh, Sylvia Smith allowed my wife and I to um, have a little holiday in the house that they owned in Brixham. And uh, as, a, as a payment of that holiday, that free holiday, I had to preach at the Brixham Baptist Church, which was the church that Basil and Sylvia were well, well, well acquainted with. I think Basil might have built me up a bit before I went, because I entered the vestry before the service, and there was a group of deacons there, and the church secretary said, be you John Tyndall? I said, yes. Oh, we were expecting someone much taller than you. (laughs) Well, I'm here such as I am, and uh, it's lovely to be back with you. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. One of the nightmares I used to have was of all 13 of my grandchildren coming for a sleepover (laughs) in our little apartment in Arbrook Court on the same night. I've never tried to shepherd or herd a bunch of ferrets, but I imagine it would be very like that. Then imagine that during that sleepover, there was a police raid on the flat beneath, a fire in the attic, an ambulance arriving to take Mrs. Jones to Kingston Hospital. And trying to manage the sleepover in those circumstances would, I imagine, be a trying experience. You'd begin to wonder what possessed you in the first place inviting such a bunch of kids to share your home for a night. Your instinct would, I think, quite rightly be to call social services to see if they could be taken away. Which brings me to Hebrews 13, remarkably. During my um, preaching ministry, which began as a lay preacher, circuit preacher in the Oldham West Methodist Circuit in 1962, when I preached my first sermon, I haven't spent much time in Hebrews 13, but it came into my life again, thanks to your pastor being on holiday and nobody else being willing to tackle the passage. Hebrews 13, it was read beautifully by Gail, and um, I'm not going to preach on all of it, I'm just going to focus on that one verse. Tim Keller, the well-known American preacher who passed away this year, Tim Keller, in his sermon on this passage, sets it in the context of the creation of a Christian community. Hebrews 13, the creation of a Christian community. Because the letter was written to a church or churches of Jewish believers at a time when the police were coming to raid their homes. The fires of persecution were breaking out. The ambulance was coming to the door. And many church believers were in jail for the sake of the gospel. And it was a nightmare time at the hands of the Roman Empire for the churches of Jesus Christ. And because of that, some of these dear Christians were in danger of giving up their faith completely. You will have heard about that over and over again in the last few months, but in the midst of showing them the uniqueness and the superiority of the gospel of Jesus, the writer comes at the end to chapter 13 
to the maintenance of a Christian community. Look at some of the exhortations. Verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Verse 2, don't neglect to show hospitality to outsiders. Verse 3, with deep empathy, remember those of your brothers who are in prison for the gospel. Verse 4, let your marriages be maintained with all purity. Verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and put your trust in the God who will never leave you nor forsake you. Be a community which trusts God so deeply that you are willing to be sacrificially generous in your use of money. That's what constitutes the life of a Christian community. It's the maintenance of a Christian community of loving and generous people even in the midst of a culture that rubbishes and disrespects and persecutes you. Even when you feel like bailing out and giving up, keep on trusting in the uniqueness and the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many years ago I preached my first sermon on Hebrews chapter 1 to a church in the northeast of England called the Whitby Evangelical Church. Hebrews chapter 1, I laboured for the whole sermon on the uniqueness and the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's unique, he is the word of God, he's the unique son of God, and he's superior to the angels and to all creation, he's superior in every way, unique and superior. And it was in an August meeting and there were people there who'd come from Germany to study the English language in a local language school. And a delightful German man and wife came to see me afterwards. They said, we loved your sermon. There were just two words we didn't understand. <laughs> Unique and superior. Well, that's what Hebrews is essentially about. It's about the uniqueness and the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. So the exhortation I want to focus on today is found in verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Because I think this is the great question raised by this passage. How on earth... Are you going to create the kind of Christian community that's described in these exhortations? How do you do that? What's the building block? A community of people who sit loose to their money and use it sacrificially. A group of people who are hospitable and share what they have, who are friendly to outsiders, who maintain purity in their marriages in a sex-mad culture. How do you create a community of people who love each other so persistently and so joyfully that when visitors come and touch the fringes of church life, they are amazed by the community of love that exists amongst this group of people? A church that remembers in prayer and with sacrificial giving men and women who are in prison for the sake of Christ throughout the world. How do you create such a community? The answer is here. Such communities are created by the pure gospel preached and applied through the lips and lives of godly Bible teachers. I'll say that again. 
Christian communities are created by the pure gospel preached and applied through the lips and lives of godly Bible teachers. Wherever you find a church, this is my experience anyway, wherever you find a church that is a little bit of a reflection of Hebrews chapter 13, you'll almost always find what the writer refers to here. A ministry of pure truth spoken from the lips of godly men. So what are the characteristics of such a ministry? Well, first of all, a passion to preach a Christ-centered theology. That's what, a, what's what a makes a godly leader, a good leader of a Christian community, as, as Ben mentioned earlier, a passion to preach a Christ-centered theology. Look at verse 7, those who spoke to you the word of God, and notice that it's a Christ-exalting theology, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, verse 8. It's sadly possible to preach the Bible in a way that handles doctrine and explains texts, but doesn't reflect as of central importance the beauty and glories of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be many sermons preached in the churches of the United Kingdom this morning that are essentially politics of the Christian veneer. There are sermons that will be preached this morning that are the results of a few thoughts that the preacher had watching Newsnight or reading his newspaper. There will be thousands of sermons preached this morning that are based on a lack of confidence in the reality and the inerrancy of the Word of God. It's not a common thing to have near your front door a church which has such a ministry that trusts the Word of God and preaches Christ as of first importance, Jesus the same yesterday, today and forever. There aren't many pulpits from which the message constantly and consistently sounds forth the excellencies of Jesus Christ as Saviour and King. Harry Kilbride came to the Chessington Evangelical Church a long time ago, I think it was in the very early 1970s. He had a six-year ministry in which he saw at least 20, 30 conversions a year as people came to hear the preaching of Christ and him crucified. He was followed by Andrew Davis, great Welsh preacher who had the same passion to preach Jesus and him crucified. He was followed by Abbott and Costello or by Laurel and Hardy, Tyndall and Archer. They, they came, they trusted the word of God. He was followed by the incomparable Bobby Warren Berg, and then by Duff Marion Jones, and then by a young man whose name I cannot remember. <laughs> there aren't many pulpits from which the message constantly and consistently sounds forth the excellencies of Jesus as King and Saviour. But as with the regularity of the sun rising right on time every morning, and the regularity of the tide coming in exactly when it's predicted, we can become accustomed to having near our front door a church where leaders preach the word of God faithfully and live lives of consistent godliness. We can take it for granted. But it's a precious gift from the ascended Lord Jesus to have such a ministry available for us, to us. May the head of the church forgive us for taking this for granted. 
And notice that such a Bible teacher is at pains to ensure that the teaching in the church and in his sermons is free from soul-destroying error. Verse 9, do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings. So this church, the King's Church Chessington, which I struggle to remember its proper name, having had 22 years of using another name, this church has enjoyed the privilege of having such a ministry since it was born in the Ministry of Defence property on the, on the estate near here many years ago. Sunday by Sunday, some of you have been coming here knowing that you'd hear authentic Christ-centred preaching from every preacher on every occasion without the error of false Bible teaching. Not for a second were you concerned that the preacher would have done anything else but spend his hours in preparation looking into the Word of God and finding the glories of Jesus Christ in the midst of it. That's why we're glad today to receive this command. Remember your leaders who spoke to you the Word of God. A passion to preach Christ-exalted Bible-centered theology these appointments today that we make in our churches should be amongst this category of excellence. My wife, until a year or two back, taught Sunday school. She began in the Salvation Army when she was 15 years of age, teaching children the Bible. She was only a kid herself. What was she doing? 15 years of age teaching children in the Salvation Army in Hollingwood in Oldham. And she gave up when she was 78. And in all those years, the answer to every question that she asked those kids was Jesus. Who did this? Jesus. Who did that? Jesus. Who's wonderful? Jesus. And when the great preacher and the apostle Paul sought to come condense his ministry into a few sentences this is what he said the first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me that the Messiah died for your sins according to the scriptures he was buried he was raised from death on the third day exactly as scripture says this church the leadership of this church stands upon that same foundation they're to be located in the apostolic tradition. Jesus, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Those who spoke to you the word of God. It's a lot to be thankful for. When you have access to this, every Sunday you have access to something that is beautiful and wonderful. Whether you live in Chessington or in Chicago, it's a great privilege to be able to come to an assembly of God's people, to a community that is built upon Christ-centered theology being preached with passion. A passion to preach Christ-centered theology. Well, I hope none of you think I'm bringing up my son. But uh, there are times when I, I can't help but get nostalgic about some of the people who served as here in this church there are so many names so many great people many of them have gone to their eternal reward they've gone to glory I've got a, a picture that comes up on my screensaver on my TV 
It was taken at the Chessington Community College. It's absolutely packed with men and women and boys and girls gathered on the Lord's Day morning. I, 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 I love just picking out people who I, I can recognize. Some of you are sitting here this morning. I won't embarrass you, but I think James Shute is there. I've always wanted to embarrass James. I think old Cootie was there as well. But it, it reminds me of the essential beauty of a gathered Christian community where there is a passion to preach a Christ-centered theology. Do you have that here? Be thankful for it. It's not common. And secondly, a persistence in living an exemplary life. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. A persistence in living an exemplary life. So, the Christian community that is described in, in, in Hebrews chapter 13 is built on this kind of thing, on men and women who have a passion to preach a Christ-centered theology. But it also has got to be preached and taught with a persistence in living an exemplary life. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. It seems most likely that the writer is referring to the life of faith in this chapter to the people he's, he's exalted in chapter 11. He's reminded them of the faith and life of many of the disciples in the Hebrew scriptures, Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Moses. They were people of faith who believed God's word and lived it out in the most demanding circumstances, challenging and threatening circumstances. True faith always has an outcome in the life of the believing person. Abraham lived in tents for the 120 years because he believed in the promise of God that one day he would inherit a land and a city. Moses left the treasures of Egypt and chose disgrace with the Israelites because he was looking forward to the reward that God had promised them that Moses believed would come. Well, it's lovely to have those biblical examples, but, says this writer, God has placed in your church leaders who are living the life of faith, not just by fine, fine preaching and great words, but there is an outcome in their life that you can respect. You know, there is a, a, a strange relationship between what a man says and how a man lives. If there was a man here this morning preaching the word of God who had had four adulterous relationships with women outside the church, you would find it very difficult to listen to what I was saying because there's a relationship between what is preached and how it's lived. I haven't been in Moneyhall Church in Birmingham very long back in 2006 when my colleague Colin Tamplin said to me about his mum and dad, no matter what came their way, they just got on living the Christian life. Ron and Eileen Tamplin. They set out on a boat in 1952 to travel to Ecuador to help plant churches and preach the word of God. What a beautiful couple. They were engaged and they traveled. They were on a boat sailing up the western coast of South America 
And they were on their way to their mission field when news came through the radio that morning that five American missionary men had been speared to death by the Auka Indians. Jim Elliot and some of his friends had died in their missionary endeavor to take the gospel to uh, the culture of the Elka Indians. And Ron and Irene, engaged to be married, were on their way to do the same kind of work in Ecuador. 1952. They're still alive. They're living in a care home now. But they're still persistently living a life of godliness. The London Marathon took place some years ago. It takes place every year. But the year I have in mind was the headlines were loudest when they talked about two men who finished together. One man was so much on his last legs that he could hardly put one foot in front of the other. The other man came up behind him. He was from the Swansea Harriers. He put his arm around this struggling competitor and they finished together. People still remember that act of persistent kindness long after the record breakers are forgotten. The more Pauline and I have over the years got to know the leaders of this church in the JF, in the YPF, in whatever you call the other ministries now amongst the youngsters, the more Pauline and I have got to know the leaders of this church, the more our respect for them has been grown and our affection deepened. They don't think they're living exemplary lives. If you went up to one of the elders and said, are you living an exemplary life, brother? They'd probably say, uh, ask me next week. They don't think they're living exemplary lives, but we do. And we salute them. And we praise God for them today. It's an honor to be able to do that as a visitor to this church. It's around such people that Christian communities form by the grace of God and for his glory. Leaders who preach the excellencies of Jesus the same yesterday, today and forever and do so with the backing of a life that is exemplary in its pursuit of holiness. And as I finish this morning... I want to finish where Mike would want me to finish by reminding you of the great leader who was the word of God incarnate, who is exalted to being the eternal Lord, who is the same yesterday, today and forever, who laid down his life so that he might win his bride, the church, and spend eternity loving her and taking care of her because that's what husbands do. One of the most extraordinary events in the political life of the United States a few years ago was the reaction when Senator John McCain died, Christian man. I watched the eulogies of Barack Obama and Joe Biden. The things that came across so powerfully were a respect for his integrity, his honesty, his fairness, his ability to endure unimaginable pain and emerge from the crucible a better man. Such leaders inspire us and motivators. He was tortured, I think it was, during the Vietnam War. Well, here is Jesus. He ex existed in the glories and beauties of the Trinity before the universe came into being. He came forth from the presence of the Father and entered human nature. He became a proper man. He lived a life of full
faultless obedience. He went to the suffering of the cross to make redemption for us, to pay the price that none of us could pay. To receive the punishment that our sins deserve. He received it. Then he emerged from death as the giver of life. As the eternal king. As the one who will one day return again and make all things well. That's him. That's the Lord. It's his life. It's our le- his leadership that are our chief motivation. The foundation of our well-being. The impetus to our worship. The goal of our life purpose. Jesus Christ. The same yesterday. Today and forever. Do you have leaders who ensure that the ministries here are centered on the authority of God's word? Do you have leaders here who persevere to the best of their ability to maintain lives of godly character? This morning, be thankful for that. Support them. Love them. Respond to their ministry with faith and devotion. There are hundreds of churches throughout the United Kingdom where such leadership is unknown. Enjoy the privilege. Do not take it for granted. As they say in all the great wisdom of Lidl, when it's gone, it's gone. Remember your leaders. Remember your leaders, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Those who gave to you the word of God. Let's pray together. Eternal Father, we thank you for the way in which you have dealt with us so kindly and mercifully over the years through men and women who have consistently and lovingly taught us about the Lord Jesus in our youth groups, in our pulpits, in our platforms. We thank you for that. Help us to praise you, to bless you, to glorify you for all that you've done in us through them and help them to persevere. Bless the leadership of this church both this day and in the months and years to come. Keep them faithful to Jesus, we pray. We ask it in the Saviour's name. Amen.